0: Hello listeners and even better watchers and welcome to episode 358 of your Security Weekly News. This week we have Juniper Urgent Junos OS update, NTLM vulnerability, NSA being naughty, fake apps, White Snake, and Jason Wood. All this and more on this week's episode of Security Weekly News.
1: This is a Security Weekly production for security professionals by security professionals. Please visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe to subscribe to all the shows on our network. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for the Security Weekly News. Hi, folks. I'm Adrian Sanabria, the host of Enterprise Security Weekly. Every week, we interview the most interesting folks we can find talking about the most pressing cybersecurity issues and challenges facing the enterprise today. Myself and my co-hosts have each been in the industry for decades, long enough to see the patterns in the industry and explore where trends are going. In addition to enterprise challenges, we also follow the vendor space, the most interesting security startups emerging, technology and product trends, all the most interesting funding and acquisition announcements. Find Finally, we love to discuss the latest trends in tech and how they'll impact cybersecurity. If you're wondering how the latest in AI, quantum computing, cloud, and DevOps is going to impact security a few years down the road, you should follow the Enterprise Security Weekly Podcast. Welcome back to this week's episode of Security Weekly
0: News, and I'm your host, Aaron Leyland, standing in for Dr. Dog, who misses you dearly, and we'll be back soon. Firstly, we have Juniper Networks releases urgent Junos OS updates for high severity flaws. So um Juniper Networks has released out-of-band updates to address high severity flaws in SRX series and EX series that could be exploited by a threat actor to can take control of your susceptible systems. So there you go. The vulnerabilities tracked as CVE 2024 21619 and CVE 2024 21620 are rooted in the JWeb component and impact all versions, versions, versions of Juno OS, difficult. (laughs) As temporary mitigations until the fixes are deployed, the company is recommending that users disable JWeb or restrict access to trusted only hosts. Okay, next, researchers uncover how Outlook vulnerability could leak your NTLM passwords and we thought we'd never hear about it again. Or did we? (laughs) Anyway, the key points to this, a critical vulnerability in Microsoft Outlook could expose a user's MTM LM password hash, the flaw resides in the calendar sharing functionality and can be exploited through email or web-based attacks. Successful exploitation requires tricking the user into opening a specially crafted file. How hard could that be? While Microsoft patched the initial vulnerability, two bypasses remain unpatched, involving Windows Performance Analyzer and Windows File Explorer. This vulnerability highlights the continued risk of NTLM, obviously a legacy authorization protocol susceptible to hashing attacks and known by everyone, especially those who have taken any course by John Strand, just like the one I meant to be on right now. <laughs> um, be there soon, John, and thanks for the shout out to Security Weekly yesterday. Okay, so patching promptly is crucial, but users should be aware of potential bypasses until a complete fix is available. (laughs) Maybe you could consider moving to Kerberos or something more modern, if possible, go do that. Um, Microsoft is planning, obviously, as most of us will know, to depreciate NTLM and Windows 11, but older versions remain vulnerable and definitely, definitely organizations should prioritize NTLM migration plans. Okay, next we have NSA admits secretly buying your internet browsing data without warrants. The key points to this one, the NSA has admitted to buying internet browsing data from data brokers to identify websites and apps Americans use without needing court orders. I hear Edward Snowden shouting. Um, Senator, Senator Ron Wyden called this practice unethical and illegal and urged the government to only purchase data lawfully end. good luck, Senator Wyden. Um, this metadata can reveal personal details about an individual's health, religion, or other sensitive topics. The NSA claims they minimize US data citizen data collection and only buy relevant data, but admits to buying non location data without warrants. I don't even know the illegality of that, to be fair. Um, the re- this revelation follows similar incidences of intelligence agencies buying data from shadowy companies um, raising concerns about privacy and legal gray areas. Um, the FTC recently banned companies from selling precise location data without consent and prohibited tracking visits to sensitive locations. Wyden believes consumers are unaware of data sales to the government and wants companies to inform users before collecting data for search purposes. Widen doing the work of Snowden without being really illegal, I guess. <laughs> so the potential implications of a political kind, if that's your thing. Um, increased scrutiny of government data acquisition practices and calls for stricter regulations. Do we really need that? Debates about balancing national security with individual privacy rights. Do they care? And pressure on data brokers and ad tech companies to be more transparent with users about data sharing practices (laughs) and um, calls for development of clearer legal frameworks surrounding data collection and sale for both commercial and government purposes. (laughs) And I am sure that in the short term, nothing will change or maybe they will talk about it in a secret court. So we'll never know that nothing has changed. Don't you just love an unknown unknown? (laughs) Okay, next up. Malicious ads on Google target Chinese users with fake messaging apps. Chinese speaking users, (laughs) it's like, have been targeted by malicious Google ads for restricted messaging apps like Telegram as part of ongoing malvertising, that's a word, campaign. The threat actor is abusing Google advertiser accounts to create malicious ads and pointing them to web pages where unsuspecting users will download remote access well, I want to say remote access trojans, but I wrote, wrote um, remote administration trojans. All still rats. Um, malware um Jerome Serguea said in a Thursday report: search programs give an attacker full control of a victim's machine and ability to drop additional malware. Beware the rats. Um, just from me, this is a gentle reminder about our clicking hygiene and having a hard thing about hard think about heuristics before downloading apps. Um, This week for some phishing education that I'm gonna share with you, at least a little bit anyway, I've been looking into human heuristics and cybersecurity, um, which will be a great topic for another day, but today for some highlights, and I must give some credit to Scott and his book for these thoughts. It was just worth reading just for this, but more about his book in the final story. Have you heard, have you heard, listeners and watchers, The Linda Problem, which is a classic thought experiment highlighting a cognitive bias called conjunction fallacy? And here's how it applies from Scott and now me. Um, Linda is a 31-year-old, single, outspoken, and very bright. She majored in philosophy as a student. She was deeply concerned with the issues of discrimination and social justice and also participated in anti-nuclear demonstrations. So now I ask you a question, or Scott asks you a question, or the founders of the Lundin problem, which I can't remember's names, ask you the question, which is more probable? Linda is a bank teller, or the second one, Linda is a bank teller, and is active in the feminist movement. Have you got your answer in your head? It's also really hard to think while listening to me talk, but more about them heuristics another day. Okay, so the majority of those asked chose option two. However, the probability of two events occurring together, that is in conjunction, is always less than or equal to the probability of either one occurring itself. Got it. In cybersecurity, the Linda problem manifests when we rely on our intuition and familiarity to judge threats. We might consider a phishing email with a familiar logo or familiar voice uh, more likely than a less familiar, unlikely attack involving hidden malware. This bias can lead us vulnerable. Okay. Here's how understanding the problem can help. So I'm telling you, Be wary of gut feelings. Don't dismiss unfamiliar threats as improbable, based solely on intuition. Challenge assumptions. Question the source and intent behind everything, not just what it seems. Really, really a lot of this resonated with me um, last week and today. Think statistically. Consider the broader context and the relative likelihood of different scenarios. And also seek objective evidence, verify information and claims before acting. Basically, basically, look further than your immediate thoughts. Use the slower and lazier part of your brain that asks for reasons to use it before it kicks into action. I hope you got all that. You can rewind and listen again if not. Dare you. Okay, okay, okay. Now over to my good friend Jason Wood, who will positively blow your mind. (laughs) Go,
2: Jason. Well, I don't know about blow everybody's mind, but it's kind of a picking up where we left off last week on the Microsoft breach that was attributed to Midnight Blizzard, also known as Cozy Bear, or actually known as the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service, or SVR. Um, there were I debated on whether or not to cover this again, but there were a couple of interesting, I felt, details that were disclosed. That warranted maybe a little bit more uh, another look at it, and so for anybody who missed all of the noise over the last uh, week or so of, about this intrusion, uh, basically, you know, the again the SVR, the Russian foreign intelligence service, is is attributed as successfully compromising Microsoft, uh, Microsofts. Corporate uh, email accounts for their senior leadership team and folks in cybersecurity, as well as legal and a few other departments. So pretty much, they they got up to the uh, to some pretty serious information uh, as to what was going on inside of the organization. Organization, what people are talking about. Uh, the intrusion began in late November, twenty twenty three, and was discovered on January twelfth, twenty twenty four. So nearly two months maybe a month and a half or so, that they had access. And this always gets me when I read this, and and you can't keep, help bump into these words over and over again as you read the articles about it and, and then the blog post by Microsoft. The initial point of compromise was described as a, quote, legacy non-production test tenant account, end quote. And, you know, just really trying to minimize the, the value of this account never th- that was exploited by a password spray attack that was successful, nevertheless, it ended up with you know the email inboxes of Microsoft's really senior people being compromised so yeah um definitely you know one of those things where you just flinch at that but that 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 term legacy test legacy non production test uh t- test tenant account just gets me every time. Anyhow, one of the things I had wondered about was the password spray attack that was conducted. There weren't any, inf- any details about this other than just saying, yep, there was a password spray attack. Now, typically, um, when, you know, like a penetration tester or somebody's doing a password spray attack against, say, an on-premises system, like Active Directory, what we're trying to do is um, run a, a number of different accounts through the attack and a small number of passwords, trying to avoid that account lockout. You know, maybe run two or three attempts and then but don't go over like five where account lockout happens and trying to escape some notice that way. Uh, but in Azure things work differently uh, for password guessing attacks. Instead of account lockouts where they just shut it down, Microsoft will block the IP address that is performing the password guessing attack. So the attacker needs to work around this block in some manner. And when I was doing some training myself, sitting in class, we were discussing this exact problem when we talked about the need to rotate IP addresses on on some level to try and get around being blocked by, uh, by the Azure systems. And while I was reading, that appears to be what the case here is, I was reading an article on dark reading that Microsoft uh, disclosed that the guessing attacks came from a, quote, vast number, end quote, of legitimate residential IP addresses. So, uh, you know, if Microsoft temporarily blocks one of these IP addresses, doesn't matter because the attacks keep coming from other IP addresses and it's not low, you know, restricted to a specific network block or anything like that. It's happening from all over the place uh, all at once. And I also thought it was worth noting here that uh, the line about legitimate residential IP addresses, you know, you can do a reverse lookup and you see that, okay, this goes back to a Comcast subscriber or... Uh, CenturyLink or or whoever. Um, so this would imply, at least to me, that the SVR had some kind of botnet of compromised residential computers to conduct this attack, which leads to preparation and uh, ahead of time for it uh, for this attack and probably others that are that they're using it for. Um, they didn't say anything about the location of these residential addresses and I wondered about that a little bit because you'll see some reference to like um, unusual sign-ons from unusual locations and 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 monitoring for that so it seems to be that there is some location checking here on you know on IP addresses that are performing attacks uh, or logins at least and so they, did, they didn't say anything about that, and I wondered, like, you know, so are these spread all over the world, so there's no real discernible power or pattern, rather, or is it located more in a specific area that is maybe more likely to have Microsoft employees working in it? So uh, centers where they have, uh, a lar- you know, a large office or campus type of environment, you know, so, uh, but nothing there uh, that they said about that. This, you know, regardless, this is, uh, you know, it'd be something that I would like to hear a little bit more about. Maybe just because Microsoft does state that, you know, in their guidance, you should review for unusual logins from, or logins from unusual locations. So that caught my attention a little bit. Microsoft also disclosed that the attackers compromised a legacy, in quotes again, OAuth application, to facilitate their additional access, so they got the initial account and they found this uh, legacy Oauth application, and then they compromised that and then they used got that authorized and uh, granted their compromised account the full access as app role inside of Azure, which then gave them apparently access to the mailboxes that they were looking at and I've seen some articles that were talking about you know my the the account had access just to outright access, the had the privileges to outright access mailboxes. Uh, but this seems to indicate that now there was another step or two that they had to take. Um, but it also feels a little bit like splitting hairs because I'm, you know, it, it wasn't very many steps to get them that privileges. You know, it apparently had at least the ability to grant itself privileges to do something. Um, so you know, it's kind of like a system administrator. I don't have access to look at somebody's email inbox in exchange, but I can grant myself that those permissions if I was to do so. Um, so that seems like that's the case here. Now I did notice at the bottom of the page, the, the latest blog post by Microsoft, um, a link to a bulletin published in December 12th that it warned people that attackers are abusing OAuth applications to facilitate intrusions and I had to pause a little bit when I saw this like wait what am I you just said that OAuth applications are being abused and now I see a month earlier uh, you published an article about OAuth applications being abused uh, to warn everybody in general um, so that that really kind of struck me there. I'm actually kind of wondering if that that bit of intelligence prompted somebody or, or some folks at Microsoft to go back and do a review. And that's actually what led to the discovery of this intrusion in the first place. Uh, nobody said anything about that that's just me speculating there uh, they Microsoft did also provide some guidance on how to defend against these attacks uh, or the attack that they experienced but all of this is based on the assumption that the reader is using Microsoft's security tools or security suite and identity services such as defender services and Entrada ID uh, identity protection uh, to to conduct their defenses and that felt a little bit off to me i mean great you're you're, you're sharing this information but you you're you're you, what's usable here is only usable if you you use our products so you know and, and frankly my first thought was wait don't you guys already use these services um and then i wondered like how much does it cost to get access to these logs and store them for long enough to to make use of them anyhow, even if I was using my own tooling. Um, and that last critique there, you know, that's not limited to just Microsoft. You know, organizations are sold cloud services partly on the promise of greater security. Uh, but there's still a lot on us as defenders to to protect these services. And that comes with an additional price tag to get access to the audit logs, things that we would normally have with an on-prem system. and And that just kind of gets glossed over, I think, in the sales process. Final note, I guess, here is I, I did get a little frustrated listening to reading through this because Microsoft kept using words like legacy, test, non-production to describe the situation, the accounts, the the OAuth application. Um, maybe this was an attempt to try and say, hey, if you use our latest stuff, this won't happen, but that still feels really um, like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. So I, it seemed like there was just a, a hint of trying to play this down in spite of the fact that. Yeah, our senior management team got compromised, but, you know, don't worry. It was legacy test. Um, Anyhow, I will say we'll wrap up with this. Any organization using a cloud-based system uh, and services definitely needs to make sure that we're investing in the uh, training of our people to make sure that they're versed in cloud service architectures. Um, It's not enough to go out and buy a service. and and say, great, we're protected because we bought this over here. Uh, even then, the folks who are operating those are going to need to know how to defend them. They need to understand or to use them. They need to understand the cloud service that they are actually trying to defend so they can have the context underst- to, to get what it means when their service says, hey, this is a problem over here. Uh, we need to understand that, oh, crap, this is what I need to do in response. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, to make it more difficult, I guess, most organizations probably use a combination of AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud uh, Platform. And all three of these are beasts unto their own right and have different security methods and architectures and things like that. So, you know, we have to spread that skill set across all of those. And so we need to make sure our team has the bench strength to, to handle that. And so we're going to have people with trained up on different platforms because all three in one go is going to be quite a tall order to spin somebody up on in like a short period of time so i've been you know for example been doing work on gcp myself and yeah that like i said that's a beast in its own right and and the other two are also monsters uh the adversaries are ab- absolutely aware of these systems they know that the data is in you know m365 or g suite or or other cloud services and so they're going after that and the best part is is that you know we're we're working to catch up here and get security wrapped around these in the way that we would like and get our understanding of these really uh, these platforms and how they work really Built into our security teams, so they're taking advantage of that, and, and we're seeing some of that now. Uh, so you know they're they they're putting the effort into finding the misconfigurations and abusing them. We need to make sure that we're on top of our game as well in defending these cloud services. So uh, take a look at it. Uh, if you use the, particularly if you use Microsoft services, they they uh, provided some some tips in there on how to defend your your organizations. And with that, let's go ahead and head back over to Aaron, back in Patty's bar, and uh, we'll wrap up today's show.
0: Uh, Thanks. Um, (laughs) I was just thinking to myself, I shouldn't say anything, but um, perpetually Microsoft not doing enough ever, and there's no way I'm ever going to get a Microsoft job. But um, hey-ho, Microsoft, you can do better, and you should do better. And finally, malicious PyPy PyPy PyPy. You decide. Packages slip. White Snake info stealer malware onto Windows machines. Cybersecurity researchers have identified malicious packages on the open source Python package index repository that deliver an information stealing malware called White Snake. What a band stealer. So White Snake stealer. <laughs> not with the water band on Windows systems. The malware lace packages are named. This this is gonna go horribly. NIGPAL, FigFlix, Tellarer, SCGMM, FD, the D- debug, I oh, know that one, SGMM, My Gens, new NewGens, and Test labs 111 There you go. <laughs> don't rewind that. You don't want to hear it twice. Um, they have been uploaded by a threat actor named WS. These packages incorporate Base64 encoded source code of PE or other Python scripts within their setup.py files. Fortinet, Labs said in an analysis, published last week. So, protect your PyP from the white snake and your own snake from the white snake attacking your PyP by whatever that means. Anyway, in seriousness, have a think about the best places to hide malware as far up the chain as possible, and probably that's where the badness lies. Um, So, anyway, what I alluded to earlier, while on my commute into London this morning, I finished off reading Fancy Bear Goes Fishing, and Scott Shapiro reminds us that there are only two types of large companies in America, those who admit to being hacked and those who do not know it yet. I think there's probably the ones that don't admit it as well, but you know who you are, Uber. (laughs) (laughs) or uber and friends and all them others um anyway if you want to know if the book's any good yeah it's quite good it's especially good for new people to the industry (laughs) i was a little driven to distraction by talking about upcode and downcode and just confused me for a while sorry scott too many terms in my head to make up new ones That is all from me. Hopefully, Dr. Doug will be back with us on Friday. Otherwise, you're getting me again for the news and the commentary. Ain't you lucky? Thank you, Jason. Thank you to the team. And congratulations to Rene, one of our executive producers. You should be currently writing my Save the Date card for the Security Weekly Wedding of the Millennium. Can't wait. Peace out, party people.